You go. 
walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never failed me in Waiting for change to
still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness i'm stealing your hands this is my confidence you never fail me yet. your promise still stands great Lance, good to have him back from his little trip that he and his wife took since their honeymoon was delayed because of COVID last year, so they got to go away for a week. He was hoping uh, they had to uh, take tests, prove that they didn't have COVID to come back. He was hoping that that would uh, be a positive test so they could stay for an extra couple weeks. However, I told him he would not get paid for those two weeks. So he decided to come on back and uh, join us. We're glad that they're back and uh, glad that you're here to worship with us uh, today. And hopefully you're ready to receive a word from the Lord this morning. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 4 and then also Matthew 26. We're going to begin today in Acts chapter 4 and then in just a moment we will flip over to uh, Matthew 26, as we continue in a series that we have titled, Follow the Leader. We've taken several weeks this summer, and we have looked at different leaders that we see in the Bible uh, to try to learn something uh, in their lives and in their style of leadership that can help us in our everyday lives, because each one of us here are a leader to someone. There's someone who's watching us, someone who's looking at us as an example uh, to follow. So hopefully you realize that by now, and uh, we've gone through several different leaders. We started with Noah, and we saw through Noah that leaders do the right thing, even if they have to stand alone. And then we took a look at Abraham, where we saw that leaders are willing to embrace the unknown. We saw Joshua as uh, good leaders lead by example. In Isaiah, we saw that leaders are willing to go where God wants them to go. Last week, we looked at John the Baptist and saw that leaders need to know their purpose. And today, we're going to look at a leader that is very familiar to most of us, and his name is Peter. You know, when you ask people uh, to name the disciples of Jesus Christ, a lot of them will begin with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels that we see in the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament. And so th those are easy. But then the next one, a lot of times, is who? Y'all just like the morning crowd. His name's right there. Big letters. Peter, right? And a lot of times you ask people, who's your favorite disciple? And they will say, who? 
I'm done. I'm going. <laughs> His name right there, Peter. A lot of times people will say Peter. Now, Peter is my favorite disciple, okay? And the reason that Peter is my favorite disciple is because I relate very well with Peter. Matter of fact, I think if I was living in the day of Peter or he was living in my day, we could hang out together because we have so much stuff in common. And let me give you a few examples here. How many of you have ever tried something in your life and failed miserably? Anybody? Three of you. All right. Um, most of us have, so I'm glad that I'm not alone on that. But how many of you have ever said something that as soon as the words came out of your mouth, you're like, I cannot believe I just said that. And you wish that you could take those words back. Anybody besides me, all right? So it is said about Peter that he has a foot-shaped mouth. I have a double foot-shaped mouth. I say things and I'm like, where did that come from? And I wish that I could take that back. And so there are several areas of my life that I see in Peter's life that, that were a lot alike. And I look forward to one day when I'm sitting in heaven and we'll be sitting around and be able to visit with Peter a little bit and we're able to compare our lives together. And uh, I'm sure we're both going to be looking back at things saying, you know, I really wish I could take that one back. I really wish I hadn't have done that. I really wish I hadn't have said that. You know how different things would be in my life if, if I hadn't gone that route. And so I think we're going to have a lot of similarities there. But here's a reality for all of us today, I'm sure, or most of us here, that we all have mistakes that we have made in life, right? Some of us have made some major mistakes, and some go through life, and they just make little mistakes, but... The reality is we all have mistakes in our life, and probably if we were all to sit around and have that conversation, all of us together could say, yeah, there's something in my life I wish I could take back, something that I wish I wouldn't have said or wouldn't have done, and I regret doing that or saying that. The reality is that that's going to happen. But what do we do when that happens? Well, today the title of our message is Leaders Recover from failure. We all are going to make mistakes at some time, but we don't have to live in those mistakes. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Peter. And we're going to begin in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to see a story of Peter where Peter is living out boldness in his life, which is different than the story we're going to go back to in Matthew 26 in just a moment. So Acts chapter 4, let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, while they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed and they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed in the number of men came to about 5,000. Now, when he says that they were speaking, he's talking about Peter and John. And we'll get into the whole story in just a moment, but Peter and John were, were speaking to the people, the priest, and there was 5,000 men whose lives were changed that day, and this upset the religious leaders, upset those that were in charge. They did not like what was going on, so they had the two arrested, and they're put in jail overnight. Well, the next day, beginning in verse 5, the next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes 
assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Cyphus, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. What a wonderful story that we see here where John and Peter are before these leaders who are questioning them about the power that they're living in and the power that is happening in their lives, and they point to Jesus. Here's the story. If you look back in chapter 3 of Acts, you'll see the story of a lame man who was brought to the temple. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and this lame man is brought to the gate, and he's laid there at the gate just like he was every day. He's been lame since birth. And he's at the gate, he's begging for money. And Peter and John come by and they see this man and they look at him and Peter's like, I don't have any money to give you, but I have something better. And he looks at the man and he says, rise up and walk. And this man stands up and it's the first time in his life he's been able to stand and been able to walk. And so he begins to cause a scene, as you can imagine someone in that condition would. He begins to jump around, he begins to dance, and he begins to praise God because he has been healed. And he causes all this commotion, and people start gathering in. There's a lot of people that start coming in and surrounding him, and they're wanting to know exactly what's going on. And Peter sees the large crowd that's coming in, and Peter's not going to pass up on this opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So he begins to share with them the power of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is that power that has made a difference in this man's life. And he tells them of how that power can make a difference in their life. And it says that 5,000 men that day come to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. What a great day it must have been. What a great time of celebration. And you think everybody would be excited about that, right? Lives are being changed. There's the power of God, the power of the gospel. And lives are being changed. But there was a group that was not happy. Happens to be the religious group. Pharisees, Sadducees. They look at this and they're like, what in the world is going on? And they see that Peter and John are telling these people about the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can't have this. So they have them arrested. They're thrown in prison. It's evening time, so they have to stay there overnight. Next day, they bring them out and they begin to question, what power is this? How is this happening? And Peter very boldly says, 
This is happening because of Jesus Christ. The one you crucified. The one that you sent to the cross. But the one that rose again three days later and lives now. And lives are being changed because of that. And he speaks with boldness. But the reality is, just a short time before this, Peter wasn't quite so bold. Peter wasn't speaking with that same kind of boldness, and that's what we see in Matthew 26. So go ahead and turn back there with me if you would. In Matthew 26, we see a completely different Peter. And we have to ask, well, what happened? What became different in Peter's life? So we're going to take a quick look at the story in Matthew 26, and we're going to see some things that happened in Peter's life that changed his leadership, that changed really who he was and what he was about. In Peter's life, we see a huge difference that took place, and I want us to see what that difference was. So in Matthew chapter 26, as you're turning there, we need to understand this. First point today, leaders understand that pride will lead to destruction. Leaders understand that pride will lead to destruction. Matter of fact, in Proverbs 16, 18, it says that pride comes before destruction and arrogant spirit before a fall. And I think there are several areas in Peter's life, when you look at the story of Peter up to this point, you would see different areas of pride in his life where some pride and maybe some arrogance comes out. But I believe one of the best examples is in this story that we're going to look at. Jesus was in the upper room with the disciples the night that he was betrayed. Jesus has already pointed out at this point that it is Judas who is going to betray him. But he doesn't stop there. A lot of times we end the story there and we kind of focus on Judas and his betrayal. But Jesus said, not only is Judas going to betray me, but you all will fall away before the night's over. So look what he says. Beginning in verse 31 of Matthew 26. said that Jesus said to them, tonight all of you will fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. In this passage, we can see some of Peter's pride coming out. Really, some of his arrogance coming out too, where Jesus is saying, before the night's over, you're all going to fall away at some point. And Peter, bold Peter, says, not me. All these other guys, they may fall away because they're not as committed as I am. But I'm committed so much that I won't fall away. Matter of fact, I'm so committed to you that I will go with you all the way to death. Peter didn't realize what he was saying. Peter really didn't have a clue what he was saying, but he comes out with that bold statement, the pride that is there. I will follow you no matter what. You know, I've often wondered as I've looked at Peter's life, if he was a prideful person before he became a disciple or if his pride came because of his position as a disciple. 
And as I was studying Peter this week, I have determined that his pride was probably already evident in his life, and it was elevated by his position as a disciple. I say this because when you look at his life as a disciple, you'll see that Peter was eager, Peter was bold, Peter was even outspoken, really, from the beginning. Now, you may think, well, what's wrong with that? Well, with the right heart, with the right mind, that, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if those things are driven by pride, that becomes a problem. Have you ever noticed that when the disciples are mentioned as a group, if Peter's name is in there, his name is first. You know why his name is first? Because he was a leader of the disciples. I think he was this natural leader that just rose up. And when the group came together, he was naturally going to be the one that would lead, naturally going to be the one that would speak first, naturally going to be the one that would step out first, that was in his nature, but there was pride behind it. And then probably his nickname didn't help with the pride in his life. You know, Peter is not his real name. Simon is his real name. And if you go back to John chapter 6, where Jesus is choosing the disciples, when he chooses Simon, the scripture says, whom he also named Peter. It doesn't say in there that he changed his name to Peter. It says he also named him Peter. So he gave him this nickname. So sometimes he's called Peter, and sometimes he's called Simon Peter. Probably called Simon Peter at the times he gets in trouble. You know, Simon Peter, get over here. Simon Peter, what are you saying? You don't know what you're saying. Jesus had to call him out a few times. But, you know, when you get called by your first and middle name, you, you know that you've done something, right? But Peter was not his original name. It was a nickname. And I think Peter is a very cool nickname. Peter Petros, which means rock. What guy would not like to have the name, nickname Rock? I mean, come on, guys. Are you with me? Wouldn't you like to be called rock? I mean, rock is solid. Rock is strong. Rock is unmovable, unshakable. Rock is a great nickname to have. And I'm sure that that probably added to his uh, pride at some times in his life. But the Peter that I know really doesn't fit the description of a rock. The Peter I know is a man who would make a statement that I'll never betray you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll go with you wherever you go. Only to a few hours later say, I don't even know that man. The Peter that I know is a Peter that would boldly stand up and say, I will go to you all the way to death. If I have to follow you to the cross, I am with you. I am right there with you no matter what. I will be by your side. And then when things get bad, he's the one that's running and trying to hide in the crowd. That's the Peter I know. That's, that's not a rock, is it? You got this nickname, and, and it's not really measuring up, and it's not living up. So that brings up the question, when Jesus gave him that nickname, did he get it wrong? And the answer is absolutely not. You see, when we look at Peter... And we see the failures and the mistakes. We see the weakness in his life. Jesus looks at Peter and he sees someone with great faith that is going to build the church. Great faith that's going to be a great witness for him. We look at Peter, we see failures. 
And Jesus sees what good is going to come as Peter continues to grow in him. And so many times we look at our own lives and we see the mistakes and we see the failures. And we're looking at those faults that we have in our life. And while we're looking at that, Jesus looking, is looking at the inside, looking at not who we are right now, but who we are going to become. Aren't you grateful for that? That even in our faults and failures, Jesus knows. And he's looking to the future. He's not looking to the present of where we are now. So Jesus was not surprised at all by the weaknesses and failures of Peter. And guess what? He is not surprised at all by your weaknesses and failures either. I saw this quote the other day and I loved it. It says, when God put a call on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. Isn't that great? When God put a call on your life, when God called you to salvation, when God called you to follow him, he already figured in your stupidity. I mean, we need to take that, we need to write it up, need to put it on our mirror so every morning when we get up, that's the first thing that we see. God has already factored in our stupidity. That is good news for today. He still loves me. He factored it in. He knew it and he still chose me. Wow, that is so powerful. Sometimes we forget that though. Sometimes we let our mistakes and our failures become so big in our life and we hang on to them and we don't want to let them go. And we look at ourselves as, man, how could God love me with all this in my life? I wonder if Peter thought that. You know, the story is after Christ is arrested, he's going through the trial. Peter is sitting there watching. And a little girl comes up to him and says a uh, servant girl, comes up to Peter and looks at him and recognizes him and says, hey, you're one of them. You're one of his followers. And Peter's backing off. He's trying to hide in the crowd. And he says, no, 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 that's not me. You got me mistaken with somebody else. And he goes off and he keeps trying to blend into the crowd. And there's another servant girl that comes up that says, wait a second. I know you. You're one of his followers. And Peter looks at her and he says, no, I'm not one of his followers. And he denies Christ for the second time. And he continues to try to blend in and hide into the crowd. And the crowd begins to push him. And the crowd is calling out and saying, you are one of his followers. And Peter yells out and cries out and says, no, I'm not one of his followers. I don't know him. And the rooster crows three times. And at that moment, he remembers the words that Christ said before the rooster crows three times tonight, you will deny me. Or before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter denied him three times. And the scripture says that Peter ran out weeping. At that moment, I believe, is when the change happened. Because at that moment, Peter recognized who he was, recognized who Christ was, and he was broken. Broken because of the sin that is in his life. The sin that is there. Pride leads to destruction. And I believe many times in our lives, the mistakes that we make, the failures that we have, the hardest ones to get over are those that we said will never happen to me. Oh, I'm good in that area. I've got control of that area. That's where Peter was. I won't deny you. I've got this. I know where I'm at in my relationship with you. I won't deny you. And yet that was the very area that he failed. And to me, those are the hardest areas to get over. When they catch us by surprise, when they say, that's not who I am. That's not what I should have done. I know better than that. 
And believe this too, pride is one of the deadliest sins, if not the deadliest sin of all. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Pride has destroyed more marriages than anything else that I know. Pride has tore apart more families than anything I know. Pride has drawn more people away from God and away from Christ than anything else I know. As a matter of fact, pride keeps many people from coming to Christ because I've got this. I don't need Christ in my life. That is nothing more than pride. Pride is a problem. Pride is an issue. And pride is what Peter dealt with in his life. But fortunately, the story does not end there. The second point that I want you to see today is that leaders realize failure is an event, not a destination. Failure is an event, but not a destination. Let me make this statement here for you to hang on to. Maybe another one you need to write down and hang on your mirror so you see it every morning. Is there is no failure in your life that is too great for God to use. There is no failure in your life that is too great for God to use. Look back at Acts chapter 4. I want you to notice what we see in Acts chapter 4 in contrast to his failure that we see in Matthew 26, or we see that comes after that, after Jesus' arrest. When Peter was confronted, when Jesus was arrested and on trial, he denied knowing Jesus. But in Acts chapter 4, when questioned by the priests, the Sadducees, and the temple guards about proclaiming Jesus and his, resurrec his resurrection from the dead, Peter responds in a very different right way. Peter's not trying to hide in the crowd. Peter's not trying to deny who Christ is. He speaks boldly about who Christ is. And notice what he says beginning in verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. Jesus said, this is the stone, or then Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now listen, this is very important. And it's important for us to understand that Peter fell, but Peter didn't stay down. Peter messed up, but Peter didn't stay messed up. Peter blew it and made a huge mistake of denying Christ, not once, not twice, but three times. Peter was broken, but Peter did not live in his brokenness. One of the greatest tools the enemy uses against us after a failure or a mistake is to remind us how pitiful we are, how worthless we are, how big of a mistake that we are. And that's where the enemy wants to keep us there. I got news for Satan today. I don't need your help in reminding me of my mistakes and failures. I don't need you to beat me up for my mistakes and failures because I do a good enough job of that by myself. I hang on to them. I want to just wallow in them for a while and feel sorry for myself. And that's right where the enemy wants us to live, but that's not where God wants us to live. I want you to see in this story that the people that he's talking to is very important here because this would have been the same people that saw him when he denied Christ three times. 
I wonder if they thought when they put pressure on him that we'll get him to deny Christ again. But when they called him out, when they said, what power is this? Peter with boldness doesn't hide. Peter with boldness says, it is Jesus Christ who's doing this. And by the way, it's not Jesus Christ, the one that you rejected. He is the cornerstone. What does it mean that he is the cornerstone? He's going back and he's quoting what Jesus said about himself. Jesus said that he was the cornerstone that the builders reject. Peter didn't understand that then, but he understands it now. That in our brokenness, Christ puts us back together. And he doesn't just put us back together. He puts us back together and places himself as the cornerstone of our life. That now holds all the pieces back together. And if you know anything about a cornerstone, it is the strong stone. It's like the glue that holds it all there. And that's what Peter is saying. This is who it is. And how do I know that? Because I know that personally in my life. Peter was broken, but he didn't stay broken. He let God put him back together. When did that happen? Well, a few days after uh, Peter denies Christ and he has this experience in his brokenness, he is now meeting with Christ on the shore of Galilee, the risen Lord and Savior. And as he's meeting there, he receives the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. As Jesus forgave him for all that he had done the mistakes that he had made, and Jesus put the broken pieces back together. That's what made the difference between Matthew 26 and Acts chapter 4. And as a matter of fact, you can go back to Acts chapter 2 where Peter preaches one of the greatest sermons of all times and many people come to know Christ. People's lives are being changed because Peter is now not hiding, but he's living in boldness after his failure, after his mistakes, after these same people witnessed that. And now he is boldly standing before them proclaiming, oh yeah, the one I denied, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But let me tell you the truth, and I'm here today, and I will stand in boldness saying, this one that you rejected, this one that you put on the cross, this one that you lied about and did all these things, that is the one, that is the power that is changing lives today. And the scripture in Acts chapter 4 says that when they saw Peter and John and that man whose life had been changed, they're like, we can't deny this. We can't deny it. And when you look at a broken life that has been put back together, you cannot deny what God is doing. There's a false teaching that has made its way into the church for many years now. The teaching is that we are broken people and that we need to just embrace our brokenness. But the reality is this, that all of us in the church are broken people that have made failures, made mistakes, but when we come to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, He takes the brokenness of our lives, He puts it back together, He makes something that's even more beautiful than it was before, stronger than it was before, because now He's our cornerstone holding it together. And that's what we need to embrace in the church. That is where the power comes from. That is where the boldness comes from. I, I know my mistakes. I know my failures. I know those faults. But I also know what Jesus Christ has done to put the broken pieces back together and to make that that is beautiful. And then the third thing that I want you to see today is that leaders realize that failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal. Now, you think this would have been a big blow for Peter who could have sat back, and he could have. He could have sat back and said, 
I, I'll never live up. I'll never be worthy. I'll never be able to live for Christ like he wants me to live. I've messed up too bad in my life. I mean, how can you go back after denying Christ three times? But he realized because of the forgiveness that comes through Christ that failure is not fatal. Failure is not fatal. The world may define us by our failures, but that doesn't mean that's who we are. The year was 1928, and the University of California was playing in the Rose Bowl. It was in the second quarter that a young man playing nose guard picked up a fumble 30 yards away from the opponent's end zone and started running with the ball. Now, this young man had been given credit by his coach as the smartest player that he had ever coached in his career. But when this player began to run with the ball, he somehow got turned around and was running in the wrong direction. His teammates began yelling at him, trying to get him to turn around. The other team was up cheering and applauding, and the coach of the other team told them, calm down, sit down, we want him to keep going. His teammates began to chase him, and they finally were able to bring him down at their own three-yard line. Instead of trying to run their way out of that, and they punted the ball. The punt was blocked, and the other team scored a safety for two points. This young man was so distraught that he had to be talked into returning to the game by Coach Nibs Price for the second half. The young man told his coach, I can't do it. I have ruined you. I have ruined myself. I have ruined the University of California. I can't face the crowd to save my life. Coach Price responded by saying, get up and go back out there. The game is only half over. This young man's name was Roy Regals. He would be nicknamed Wrong Way Regals. And that nickname would stick with him the rest of his life because many stories have been told about him. He did end up going out and playing the second half, and he played a stellar second half. He even blocked a, a punt himself. But they still ended up losing 8-7. to seven which did not help with what people thought of him and his mistake. But that mistake didn't set him back. He went on, he became a coach himself, later ended up building a, a great business. He continued on in life. It didn't ruin his life like he thought it was going to. But many people today use that story as a motivational story to remind people and to show people how they can overcome setbacks. And today, if you want to know how to overcome setbacks in your life, look at the life of Peter. In his life, we see, and we see through this message today, how to overcome setbacks in our life. As a matter of fact, our failure may just very well lead to the brokenness in our lives that turns things around so that our lives can now be used for the glory of God to reach a world that needs him. It could very well be that our setbacks that he's not surprised about, that he's already factored in, could be the turning point that we need that will make a difference in us. Look at the life of Peter. You see, I look at the life of Peter. I say, if God can restore him, God can restore me. And someone may look at my life and say, if God can restore David Bagwell and use him, 
then God can certainly restore and use me. And it goes on and on. And somebody will look at your life and say, if God can restore and use them, even after their mistakes and failures, then God can restore and use me in the same way. They might just very well say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was in a million pieces, but God put me back together and made me a beautiful masterpiece in his hand used for his glory. The beautiful picture that we see of forgiveness and God's grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, but we can freely receive it as God gives it. Listen, when you make mistakes, don't beat yourself up. Turn to Jesus. When you blow it big time in your life, don't, don't hang out there. Turn to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some times in our lives that we make big mistakes that have huge consequences, and by turning to Jesus doesn't automatically take those consequences away. A lot of times those consequences are right there in front of us, but they're there to remind us of our brokenness that God put back together to make that beautiful masterpiece. That's where we live. We don't live in the brokenness. We live in the grace of Jesus Christ. So leaders recover from failure because our failure is not fatal. Let's pray together. Father, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the encouragement that we see that comes through your word. I thank you for the example today of Peter, one who is really blew it, one who really messed up, but yet you still loved him. And you still offered your forgiveness to him. And because of that, his life was restored and his life was changed and we thank you for the difference that he made and the difference that was made throughout the world that is still continuing on to this day. God, I thank you for the reminder that the same is true for us. That even in our mistakes and our failures, the things that we regret doing, that God, you're still there. You love us. You weren't caught by surprise. And you still offer your grace. You still offer forgiveness. And if we will turn to you, you will put our lives back together, stronger and better than it was before. God, we thank you for your wonderful love for us. That even knowing what our lives would be and the mistakes that we would make, that you still love us and you still chose to send your son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to die for us. God, we thank you for that wonderful love. God, I pray for anyone here today. Maybe they've been struggling with mistakes and failures that they've made in their life. God, I pray that today this message would be an encouragement to them that they don't have to live there, that they just need to turn to you. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for that grace that we do not deserve, but you freely give. So God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, may your spirit draw them today. That today may be the day of salvation. That pride wouldn't get in the way, nothing else would get in the way, and they would turn their life over to you. 
And God, I pray for every believer here. God, we would not live a discouraged life, but we would live encouraged because of who we are in you. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.